inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. I'm James DiVirgilio, in for Richard Miles, and today I get a chance to talk with uh, a rather famous, and I heard you say this on a podcast, Chance, a famous, but maybe not famous on the street, developer who's now doing some really interesting things. His name is Chance Glasgow. He's sitting down with me here at the Cade Museum, and we're going to talk about a couple of things today, Chance. Let me give you your bio. You're the co-founder of Infinity War. That's what you're famous for, which produced Call of Duty. Uh, and the really good Call of Duty games, I think it's important <laughs> to, to say in there. And then you are now the co-founder since 2016 of Doghead Simulations. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about this today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? First of all, why start Doghead? You were in Brazil for a while. You had kind of given yourself a little mental space. Why come back with this project? So after um, 13 years of Call of Duty, 15 years of the game industry, I was just burned out. As you probably heard, the game industry is a lot of hours, a lot of crunching late nights. Yeah, they feed you, but you're there 12 hours a day sometimes, you know, six days a week and whatnot. It just kind of takes a toll on you, and you, you know, at a certain point, it doesn't matter how much someone pays you. If you can't enjoy your life, what does it matter, right? And so I guess I kind of pulled like a Dave Chappelle in a sense, right? I just kind of left the country and went to another place, which was Brazil. Uh, lived there for uh, overall like close to three years, about two years in Rio, and then uh, six months or so in um, Sao Paulo. And uh, yeah, I just enjoyed it and just kind of relaxed, recovered, and started working on a VR project remotely with a buddy of mine, Albert Perez, who's another co-founder of Doghead. He was in Seattle, I was in Rio. And we were working on this game called Bear Tinder, and it was actually a um, animal bartending game. You're in virtual reality, you're a bear, and then animals come in, and they order drinks, and you actually reach behind you, grab the bottle, you know, and grab everything, start mixing stuff, get points, serve them, and eventually you end up with just this crazy drunk animal bar. So, like, why am I not doing a drunk animal game now? Well, investors would probably be the correct answer, right? <laughs> You're a money guy, so you know, like, if, if someone came to you who had, you know, background of Call of Duty, is like, hey, I've got this great idea, you can get drunk with a goat and a chinchilla in VR. Or, hey, I've got this idea that can revolutionize communication, education. Like, the investors are going to go with the second choice, most likely. Right? That's for sure. So you were working on something very creative and fun. Yeah, yeah. Something as far as from Call of Duty as I can get, basically. <laughs> and now it's morphed into something a little more serious, a little bit yeah, more so, professional, more buttoned up, maybe. So the segue from that was uh, we were collaborating, and I think we were initially using Skype. And, you know... Um, Skype is not, I don't know how Skype's managed to get worse over the years, but we were very frustrated. And it wasn't just the software itself, it's just that we had, I had five megabit down internet. You know, I was like two streets from a favela. It was not like this, you know, broadband one gigabit experience I was having. Um, and we're like, you know, uh, there's a lot less bandwidth used if we did this in VR, because the video uses a lot of bandwidth. But in, in VR, if you're in a social situation, well, we're sending audio, just like you would on a video conference call. But instead of sending video, we're sending the XYZ coordinates of your hands and your head, because that's all being tracked, and then applying that to an avatar. And so not only did it solve our bandwidth issues, it was just a much better experience uh, for conferencing remotely. You get in there, and in good VR, actually most VR now, 
uh, we've gotten to the point where you've experienced presence. It's the sense of actually being somewhere. You've put this thing on your head, your subconscious mind buys into it, your conscious mind knows you're in VR, right? And so we were like, wow, we're, I feel like I'm here with you. Like we're hanging out in VR. You feel their presence, a social presence enters the equation once you network other people in there. And we're like, well, now that we're hanging out and we're talking, wouldn't it be cool if we could like, you know, maybe bring up a PDF or bring up a 3D model that we're working on for the game or something. Um, and so uh, the tool that was fixing our collaboration issues ended up being our product. Kind of classic story. That is a classic story. That's what I was thinking <laughs> yeah. as I heard you say this is, so you just tried to solve a problem you had with your co-founder yeah, yeah. and then you stumbled upon what is now the, the primary development piece yeah, yeah. For, for your studio. The first thing that came to mind for me was what you just said is, I've done VR before. I have a hard time having my subconscious buy into it. I recognize I'm in, a, I'm in an environment that seems a little bit blurry or it seems yeah, yeah. a little bit weird. And I'm doing things in there, but... To hear you say that it's tracking movements and that you actually felt like you were able to read the mannerisms yeah, of, yeah. of your co-founder seems amazing. It seems transformational. Are you finding that the marketplace desires something like this for a video conferencing solution, or is this a, a high hurdle to overcome? I mean, this is something that the market demands, but they don't know they demand it yet. Or they, they do, they just don't know what it is. They just know that they don't like video conferencing. But think about like like Henry Ford. I, don't know exact quote, but something like, if I would ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. People are like, oh, I want better video conferencing. This isn't very good. No, you don't like video conferencing, not because, oh, it's pixelated, or you don't like it because you're not there with them. It doesn't matter how good you make video conferencing, you're still looking at a set of boxes on a screen, and that screen might fill you know, 30% of your field of view. And then you're like, well, who's talking? I don't know all these people. Let me look at, oh, that person's mouth is moving while the audio is coming out. Okay, so I guess they're talking, right? Well, in VR, if like, let's say this was roomy, right? This is our software we've met. We're in this environment. This is a 3D rendering. If I'm looking off to the right and I hear you talk, I'm going to hear you on my, sorry. If I'm looking to the right <laughs> uh, and I hear you talk, I'm going to turn my head left because I heard you out of my left ear. I know you're to the left of me, right? That's natural. That's what we're used to experiencing. It doesn't happen in video conferencing. You're just scanning like this little boxed area of who's talking, right? Body language. You don't really get that in, um, in video conferencing. Um, yeah, you can see like their upper body, but there's no depth. You don't get everything below that. It just doesn't really translate. Uh, and so when you're in VR, people typically will just kind of circle up if they're in a group, just like you would in real life, like a semicircle or circle when they're talking. I can see multiple people this way. If this person talks, I can turn my head left. You know, so it's just we're basically we've recreated uh, that in-person experience using VR. It's it's a couple of interesting things. One, you just mentioned that sort of circle, uh, which I think whenever I come out of a movie, people tend to form a circle and you discuss the movie like it's the natural yeah, yeah. human. This is how yeah, we discuss this is things. the best way to talk. And you're this. seeing people naturally in the VR world. Well, they could go anywhere they want, right? They could yeah, take yeah. their avatar and turn away from you, but they don't. They're actually forming the same social formation you'd form. In yeah, the but you're, you're utilizing 3D space. Video conferencing is just a 2D panel in front of you. Mm -hmm. you know, And so when you utilize 3D space, you can do more with it. I think one of the most it. interesting things that I, that I read that you had, um, you had said, and I think this is totally true, is when you put the VR headset on, you're not distracted. And with video conferencing or conference calls, I think anyone listening to this podcast knows that you're on mute or you're typing an email yeah. or you're browsing the internet. You're half listening. But the VR set is fully immersive. So yeah. you're actually in the space with the person, much like you would be one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, there was actually a study from Source Intercall that uh, realized that 70% of people in video conferencing are doing something completely different, at least one other thing. 
and it was emailing, it was texting, it was playing games, going to the bathroom, like all kinds of stuff, right? So when you're in VR, 100% of your reality is being rendered. It's not like AR where you're rendering you know, 3D over the real world. You're completely blocked out to the real world. And so, and you had head, and you got headphones on, right? And so, because of that, you know, you're not. I, if I reach in my phone and grab my phone out, I'm not going to see my arm. I'm not going to see my hand. I'll see my my 3D avatar hand, but I'm not going to have a phone in it because that's in the real world, right? So it's just a much better way to focus, and especially when with school. Like if you think about online school, I don't know if you've done any online classes, but people don't have like memories. They don't reminisce about online school. Like, hey, remember that time I typed that funny joke and hit enter? And then you type ha 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 and hit enter. Hell yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> you know, like you never you ever never have conversations about this online school. But what if you're in what if your friends is what Harvard's doing? Harvard is using our software to teach Egyptology to Harvard students and um, a uh, university in China. So you have Chinese students and Harvard students in a Egyptian pyramid, a 3D model of Egyptian pyramid with a PhD in Egyptology teaching them. They're gonna remember that. They're not going to remember the, the video of the guy talking and the text chat, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I took a lot of online courses at the University yeah, of Florida. Yeah. And, and it's there's disengaging. Not a, you just it's, remember maybe a weird thing the professor did, but there's no collaborative feel. It's kind of dehumanized. You know? Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a guy on a screen talking. Yeah. That, that's, and, that's fascinating. So they actually feel this. So Harvard is, is presumably one of your Yeah, Harvard, right uh, Full Sail University, uh, Michigan. Um, sorry, University of Michigan. Wait, Wolverines? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's making I don't sometimes yeah. there's like you know, there's like Florida State, right. there's, there's US, Michigan State, the sports. There's like let's just that. rearrange states names and the word state into five different colleges and expect you to remember their names. Yeah. <laughs> so so your technology is is potentially changing the landscape of video conferencing and allowing for an immersive, almost realistic experience anywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't say I said replacing you know, rather than changing. You know, okay, right? yeah, it's like for instance we had you know, we had the first a telegram, right? And like a phone call and then we had um, you know, audio conferencing, then video conferencing. But for the history of human beings, we've been communicating from a very complex exchange of facial expressions, body language. Um, there's all these little details that come together. And when we're having a conversation, uh, my little shots of either serotonin and dopamine are coming from your little micro reactions in your face, you nodding your head, these things. So we've basically, for the sake of convenience, um, you know, over pretty much during your, um, your lifetime and my lifetime, have stripped away all of those human aspects of communication for the sake of convenience, right? And so what we can do with the VR technology is we can actually rehumanize social media, you know, where we've got your body language. Um, the new headsets, uh, the new Vive Pro Eye has eye tracking, and that'll probably be a standard feature in the future for most headsets. So now we have like how you're moving, what exactly, like what exactly you're looking at, you know, just having one-to-one -one eye movement in, in VR, have an avatar that's the eyes are moving, how the real person's moving, that adds emotion, that adds empathy. And so we're kind of fooling your brain in a sense to feel, I mean, fooling's the right word, where we're just transferring more of those human aspects into your digital environment to, to give a sense of empathy. Now, is anyone else doing this? Is this is this patent protected? How where are we in that? I mean, curve? you can't you know you can't really patent protect the idea of people being networked in VR. You know that in itself is not necessarily a completely unique idea. I mean, we've had network games for a while, but most of the companies that that have are known are focusing more on the social social aspect. Not this like we're a private invite kind of system like Slack, right? You, you know, you create a team and you invite people via email. Um, you've got other companies that are more of like a AOL chat room, like in the early days. We were just going in there, you're talking to people. 
um, just more focused on some entertainment. And we realized there was a, a gap of like, hey, what if you want to be pro- like productive? What if you want to get together and actually be productive rather than just be like, hey, where are you from? You know, all that stuff. You can do that in Rumi, but you have to be invited to that team to speak to someone. And Rumi is the name yeah, of yeah. the actual application. Uh, R-U-M-I-I um, in Doghead Simulations is our uh, company name. Doghead is our website. But if you, I recommend if you're going to get Room, you get it off of Steam because it's an auto-updater. If not, you can go to our website and get it. Uh, and it's free. It's free up to five users. And so pretty much any small project can use it without paying anything. And this works on a wide variety of VR headsets. And it also works on... Non-VR. Non-VR. Yeah. So we work on um, pretty much every PC and Mac made in the last five years for non-VR mode. Uh, we support every major PC VR headset, you know, the Vive, the Oculus, everything that's Steam VR, everything Windows all the Windows headsets, and we also support the Oculus Go, and the newest headset, which the museum just purchased a bunch of, was Oculus Quest, and that's what I'm really recommending for people right now. It's not the most high-fidelity headset because you're you're not tethered to a PC. It's basically a cell phone processor that's in there, but it's there's no wires, and it's easy to use. You put it on, it goes. It's an amazing experience for $399. You can pick them up Best Buy once they're in stock again, but that's the one that I think is really going to break through. It just came out like two weeks ago, maybe three to really, I think, take VR into the mainstream. A couple of years from now, if we look back on this conversation and this time period, what would you like to see Doghead Simulations accomplish? You know, there's a lot of things I'd like to see. For instance, you could, you know, you can record your screen and have a video of a meeting, but imagine if we actually recorded your position in space, your body language, what you're doing, all the audio. You could actually revisit a VR meeting almost like it's a time machine. You go into that environment and all the avatars are playing back exactly what people were doing, what they're saying, what they're interacting with. And that's cool because imagine like, oh, I missed that meeting, you know, last month. Let me just go back into it. And it's exactly the same experience it would have with the exception that if you talk to these people, quote unquote, they're not going to respond because they're basically recordings at this point. That's amazing. I'm really looking forward to using the technology. I played yeah. around on your website and I know oh. beforehand, as we as we wrap up the show, we want to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, yeah. You and I both had played some baseball and I heard on a different podcast you talked about <laughs> wanting to be a baseball player or an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and instead you wound up going down this path of of developing, you know, one of the most famous games of all time, one of the most popular games of all time. And now you're working on this. I know that no one's success path is linear. It's not a it's not a bottle rocket of success. It's not a rocket of success. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you coming through these different dreams you had and realities you had and going to full sail and kind of what did that look like? What does your yeah. picture look like? What's the story of so, chance? Yeah, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I ended up. Well, it's complicated. Uh, technically, I was kidnapped to Florida and missing for several years, but <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, but I ended up staying in Florida in the end. Um, and uh, I went to Full Sail University. I, I, I'm, I'm a graduate of Satellite Beach High School, a class of 99 in Satellite Beach. Uh, spent most of my childhood in Brevard County, uh, Titusville, Cocoa, Indian Harbor, all that, that area. And then um, I found out about Full Sail. I was like, oh, this is a really cool school. This is different. So I went over there, checked it out. I was like, yeah, I definitely want to go here. Didn't have any money. Took about 40 grand in loans out uh, to cover living expenses and school and all that stuff. I graduated 15, 16 months later, got an internship working at 2015 on Medal of Honor Allied Assault. And then that was successful, but we didn't like we worked for. So 22 of those 30 people left. We started Infinity Ward and had to create a franchise that would compete with Medal of Honor, which we ended up calling Call of Duty. So that's... uh, and then that kind of segues into what we talked about earlier is 13 years of that. But the success thing, it's like, it kind of just creeps up, you know? It's like, after 
when Call of Duty 1 came out, no one heard of the franchise because it didn't exist before. They just knew some Medal of Honor people made a new game. And so that was ended up, like, at first not very popular because the reviews were so high, people started buying it. They just hadn't heard of it. And then multiplayer kind of made it stick. And then Call of Duty 2, we had Microsoft ask us to make a launch title for Xbox 360. So that doubled our sales because we're now on two systems, PC and, and 360. And then COD 4 broke us into, like, basically we're up there with uh, Halo and GTA when it comes to sales. And then by Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, it was we were beating Avatar at the box office. You know, so we went from, you know, one of the top three game franchises to the biggest grossing entertainment franchise in probably that decade or something. So, Which is simply amazing. And here yeah. you are with me at the K Museum having a conversation yeah. in which you've had, like you said, many of these conversations. And one last question for you. Chance, if you could go back and tell your your first entrepreneurial self. So you leave the company you're working for, you start uh, Infinity. What would you give yourself as a word of wisdom? What would you say, hey, you're going to have all the success, these things are going to happen to you, but kind of anchor to this. What would you tell your previous self? Sometimes really good, seemingly really good opportunities come along um, and be careful with it, what your, your choices are. You know, it's kind of like, you know, someone gets offered what they think is like a really good record deal. They're like, oh, wow, we got a record deal or whatever. And then they realize, you know, two years down the road that, they were kind of blinded by the fact that that it's a record deal and thought, you know, it's magic or something and, and made some bad decisions. Maybe, maybe they should have waited for a different record company. Right. I don't know. That's too cryptic, but <laughs> so maybe, maybe patience with yeah, not yeah. every opportunity. Patience, is yeah. The best yeah. Yeah. Like, like sometimes when you get some amazing opportunity, that's the first of many amazing ones. And that's not even the best one, but there are times where you do have to take that. I guess sometimes you look back and say, I should have done that. <laughs> Sure. And there's yeah. no, there's no, per- I think your story illustrates what so many others illustrate is there's no perfect path. You can't yeah. make every right decision. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I think will resonate with you when I talk to students a lot, like when I do a lot of talks at full sale or universities is especially as I'm talking to usually game developers, people that are like that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that if, if they're not active, if they're not exercising and eating healthy, that their brain is not going to function like it should, you know, they're going to like, Oh, I got to put down another Coca-Cola for my brain to be how I'm, you know, functioning. Right. And so something that I got really into when I was like, it was 2010, I got into really into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu from watching MMA. And so I would end up going on lunchtime to train. And it's like, as a game developer, you're behind a computer, you're basically not moving for, you know, 10 hours a day or so. And so you kind of have to balance that with the extreme opposite. And so for me, I found that when I was putting myself in a situation where basically someone's trying to choke me or break my arm or something, kill me, not quite, you know, you, you know that's not going to happen, but you're trying to get, someone's trying to put you to that point, right? That it was so opposite to what I was used to that it was like this extremely good balance. Like, yeah, I could have just gone out and gone running, but it wasn't different enough from sitting in front of a computer. I need something to really push me. And so also jujitsu, it's very, um, it's creative. It's very technical. There's a lot of problem solving. It's not just brainless and I'm not, you know, attacking other martial arts, like just, you know, striking tons and tons of times over and over repetition. There's a lot of variety within it. So uh, that's, that's kept me kind of sane through that sitting in front of a computer and so anyone that even like for me I, I grew up a computer nerd you know I was programming when I was 14 I was a, a dork I was kind of like you know into theater and like you know not 
athletic person at all. I still am not. But even if you're not, like find something to balance that desk life because it'll it'll make you a happier person and it'll improve your life in other ways too. I think that's why it's Harvard yeah. did a study talking about the different things our brains need each day. Yeah. And one of them is exercise and others music. But uh, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're spending so much time on one task, it's essential that your brain gets other space to do yeah. things. And something like jujitsu is deep. You yeah. can go very far into that. You can lose yourself into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's why he is Chance Glasgow. He is the co-founder of Doghead Simulations. I've had so much fun spending some time with you today on behalf of Radio Cade, on behalf of Richard Miles, who's not here doing the interview today. I'm James DiVirgilio. I look forward to talking with you next time. Thank you, guys. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Hartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.